This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Rose Confidential at Earsports.com. This is a Paramount Podcast. I am Mike Casazza here with you on a Monday morning. That means it is time for yet another Q&A episode, yet another mailbag full of questions. We're going to try once again to get through all of them as we can. So popular last week. And then the basketball team follows through. Signature victory, Chris Anderson, at home against number three, Kansas. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, it's on now. And then you realize just how deep of a hole the Mountaineers have to dig themselves out of, but can't do that unless you start to move upward. And they did that Saturday. Maybe it is game on, huh? They are going to break every metric, every you know discussion about tournament teams and whatnot. If they can finish in the what top half of the Big Twelve, they can somehow do that even middle of the Big Twelve, like seventh. Let's say they finish seventh. There has to be a discussion, even though they're going to, if, if it's seventh, they're still under 500, right? It bends my brain, which isn't hard, but it bends my brain to think about this. Like a team that could be 11 and seven would be a lock every year. And that's going to make them really, really close. Like if they go 11 and seven and then one and one in the big 12, they're going to be one game above 500. And like, I don't know if that's going to be good enough. I have no idea what the bubble is going to be like. I don't know how West Virginia would get to 11 wins. Like if they keep beating the top of the conference, that's going to look a whole lot better than their overall record will. And it'll it'll validate a lot of the the cries of just wait till we have our team together. So it, it's so weird. Here you are halfway through this thing and it hasn't even started yet. Nope. You ready to get started? Let's go. All right. Let's start with patting ourselves on the back here. SG Taylor 24 asks, what number did you guys say we need to win in this five game stretch? If I recall correctly, it was two, wasn't it? It was. 
Yeah, I think we both said two you would would keep you going for a while, right? I mean, that that was a very tough start to Big 12 conference play. UCF is going to be a little tougher than I think we all thought before um league play started, but going two and three, you know, getting at least two wins out of that that first five games was was key. And they got a huge favor because this continues to cannibalize itself in the Big 12, but they are two and three. They're two games out of first place. They're 13th in the standings, Chris. Two games out, 13th out of 14 teams. Granted, they're tied for, I think it's tied for third, which actually means tied for seventh, I believe. But mm-hmm. if you actually rank everybody by their their metrics and all that stuff, they're two and three. They're 13th out of 14. Thank goodness Oklahoma State's 0 and 5, right? Yeah. Um, moving on. Next question. We kind of got the answer to it just moments ago when we were on a Zoom call with Josh Eilert. Um, Yidio 10 asks, uh, what's your starting rotation when Jesse Edwards returns? And Bit Country asks, when's he coming back? Um, we kind of got the answer. Uh, Josh Eilert said they're going to take it easy. The situation's fluid. They put him in for some five on five work, but once the contact really got going, he got a little uncomfortable. So they backed off a bit and they're going to play it safe here. And they don't feel rushed because of that Sunday. Um, and the way some other guys are playing. So, Mike, when Edwards comes back, what's your rotation? <laughs> this is so hard. I can't believe that I'm calling. If you, if you bench Pat Sumnick, we might have to put an end to this podcast right now. I think and I can't believe we're saying that. I think you can get away. I don't think this is going to happen, but you're asking how I would do it. I would start Sumnick. And listen, if, if Edwards is going to get you some minutes – He's not going to get you a full 30-plus right now, um, I don't think, until he gets his legs back. So right away, I'd start Sunnick. He's earned that. There's something good happening with him. Everybody really likes him. The same things are true of Edwards. I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong there, but I would certainly try to keep Sunnick. It, it's it's harder to bottle and then put on the shelf what Sunnick has. Um, Edwards, his performance is less of a surprise. If you all of a sudden say, hey, thanks, Pat. We're going to put you behind glass for a while. When we need you, you have to play at that level again. That's a risk to me, and I don't know if you can afford that right now. So what I would do, I would start something. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I would do that. What's curious to me is how they're going to line up the four. Um, I just don't know right now. They're changing so much, and I wonder if that's not different every game. Could it be a Cook some games? Could it be Slazinski some games? Could it be Sumnick some games? You would say no on the Sumnick thing because you can't play your two centers. They just did that against Kansas, and it worked out okay. The identity of the four is I don't know. That's going to be dependent on the other team. Uh, a height, the size thing. That got a cook in the starting lineup for Harris. Harris, I have no idea what they're going to do with. I think that the numbers bear out. He's been really, really valuable. He's his best lineups. Um, and Jesse Edwards' best lineups are all the same. They play together. Granted, Edwards doesn't play with hardly anybody else who's new and important right now. So that's a bit misleading. But there's something good to Harris with Edwards. I don't know where you put him out there because they said he's not really a four. You put him at the three. He's playing maybe Raekwon Battles, scant few minutes a game on the bench. That's going to be interesting, but there's no way he's starting. So you're probably going to start Creasa, Johnson, Battle, flavor of the day at four, and I would start Sumnick at least for the time being. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think a cook, a cook is a solid four next to Sumnick and next to Edwards. But I'm not sure Sumnick is the best four to be next to Edwards. No. And so... And all of a sudden, it's like, are you really going to be keeping, as, as you noted, I'm kind of down with, you know, easing Edwards back into it, keep some Nick starting, bring Edwards in for 15, 20 minutes a game for the first couple of games as he gets you know, accustomed to it. Again, this is the second time, right, that he's broken that wrist. Is it mm-hmm. the same wrist? or well, Different wrist. 
different wrists, but same injury, similar injury at least. And so, you know, he might need some time to get used to this. And so I'm down with Sumnick starting, letting Edwards kind of ease back into things. But once he's back full go, like all the minutes that Edwards is going to take, most of them are going to be Sumnick's. Like it's going to be hard for the two of them to be on the court at the same time. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Eiler does moving forward. Next question. Pack attack. I don't know if this is a trick question or not, but he wants to know why some insight on why Ali Ragab has not seen the floor yet. I mean, he's got a great seat. I'm sure you can see the floor. Not sure he should expect much more than that. I mean, that, that's a practice body. That's it. Yeah. So they're not ready to put a practice body in the game right now. And I think everybody was knew that, including Ali Ragab. So it's not, you know, shocking him. I don't. I don't think. Now, um, time in a couple of years from now, if he got into a game and he became like, I don't, I don't want to say Logan Route, but like Logan Route was a guy who was a practice guy. I'm like, um, he's seven feet tall. He's kind of athletic football player, right? Maybe he can do something one day. He had to wait a long time for that one day. I'm not sure Ragab is the same type of player, same athlete or whatever. But there's a patience involved, especially with big guys, Chris. You know, this like it's it's harder for those guys that have just enough to get to one level. It's totally different at the other level, like. The coordination and the talent to be good and big in college basketball, it does vary from level to level, and, and he's getting used to that, I'm sure. Next question from Salty Dog 8159. He said, did you see the possibility of the version of Pat Sumnick that we have seen recently? I mean, he was dominant at times against the preseason first-team All-American center. Yeah, I'm surprised. Just, again, keep saying this, but when they were counting up Big 12 quality players they had in the preseason, he was not on that list. I mean, that was never stated, here's the guys and here are their names. But if you did the math in your head, he didn't fit in that conversation. And now he's, I don't know, Chris, all conference? What's going on here, right? He's, he wasn't even good at the play in this conference, and now he might be one of the better front court players in the conference if he keeps this going. I, um, I, I never saw him play at Robert Morris. I knew that they were recruiting him really, really early. And, and if you remember, he, yeah, he was an All-American at Triton College. He committed before he ever played a game there. That's unusual. So I was watching going, what is it with this guy? And he had an All-American season, but like not great numbers. He was on one of the best teams in the country. They went to the Final Four. They had another very good guard in that team, too. But he played well. But you've seen junior college players come in, and, and sometimes guards have a much better time of it than than big guys. I'm not sure the the quantity of big guys who have made like the leap to Division One. And, again, that goes back to the, the talent level and just the, what it takes to be good and big. It takes time, and it's taken him a, a year plus. But what always surprised me was that they saw something in him. I don't know what it was. He committed before he played a game where he was a junior college All-American. People forget that. It's not like they went out and signed a junior college All-American. The cart and the horse were out of order there. And I never saw it. And I was wondering how he's going to get it because he's six seven. Is he a 4? Maybe. Is he a 3? No. Is he a 5? No. Whoops. I was wrong on that. But he is He is certainly um, He's nimble down low. And he, he's got a confidence that he can get his shots. I think his arms are, are kind of long, too, when you're as strong as he is. You saw this against Dickinson, who's 7-2 and can really swat some shots. He was able to kind of like get wide, left arm out, shoot with the right arm, and create some space. I just think he's got a little bit of craftiness where he can, you know, he doesn't have low post back to the basket skills. He's not a jump shooter, but he finds ways to get into the spots. He's quick to the ball, and, and he's got a good release mechanism. He can shoot close to the basket and not get the shots blocked. One, I agree with everything you said there. But one part of what you said that I want to highlight, they did not feel he was 
you know, a power four, power five, power six, how many power conferences we have in college basketball, basketball player. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not like I was listing him as a starter or you were either or anything, but the, his own coaching staff did not count him as somebody that they deemed a viable option in the rotation at the highest level of college basketball. So, yeah, I think it's safe to say that no one really saw this coming. Um, next question coming from, hey, another one from Salty Dog 8159. Can you examine the Josh Eilert situation? Is there really any chance he could land the job permanently with an out-of-this-world finish? And if so, how out-of-this-world are we talking? Uh, you're at making it impossible to let him go. That, that would be it. I don't know what that looks like, what the numbers Win are. Win the Big but... 12? It, it would be impossible like, to let him go if he won the Big 12, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's going to take something where there is no alternative. If there's an alternative, I think they're going to try. And we'll, we'll see. You could know before long. Like, before this month is over, you may have your answer. Again, they're working against the clock here. And, like, it's not only that, but, like, the, the number of losses, they just can't They can't have X number of losses, and they're close to that as it is. You're, you're just not going to get in under 500 as an at-large team, even if you're good. And if they're going to be a sub 500, they're going to be like, I think it would be what nine and nine would make them sub 500. Nine and nine teams aren't going to do it because a nine and nine team in the Big 12 would have to have done something in the non conference play to warrant that. They don't have that. So you may have an answer here before too long. I don't think this goes into the 11th hour, um, which probably gives you a hint as to how I think this is going to go. Could be wrong. That's why we cover the teams, while we watch them and turn them on and keep your ESPN Plus subscription. But I think it would have to be impossible. Something happens, a, a run of wins. They win in Kansas City. Maybe they win the whole thing in Kansas City. Maybe they get to the Sweet 16. There's going to have to be something where there is no alternative. And here's the other thing, too. If they play deep into March with this guy, it's going to be hard to replace him because candidates will have been spoken for by other teams. So the best thing that Josh Aller can do is keep coaching basketball games. All right. Here's your scenario. Note how much you love hypotheticals, especially when it comes to coaching situations. Oh, yeah. so I'm going to give you one right now. It's Valentine's Day. You're out at dinner with your lovely wife. And West Virginia has gone five and one six games. They're not six games to get back to 500. What's the conversation or is there one yet? Is that not enough? Between me and my wife or Josh Rather and Ren Baker? Cause my wife's gonna be like, put your phone away, idiot. <laughs> I would, I would think it, the, the AD would go to the coach and say, you're doing awesome, man. I'm going to continue to have your back. Let's get this thing across the finish line. That's all. And I think Isla would have that too. I don't think Isla would go into the office and say, Hey, can we take, get rid of this interim tag? You know, this giant um, font you put above my head for the entire season. Could we do something about that? I don't think that's either its way. So I'd be very surprised if there's anything one way or the other before the season was over and the balls are on the rack and the Coliseum was closed and they were just going deep cleaning in the practice facility. I'd be very surprised if you heard anything before then. Um, RVA ear asked, what changed with the men's basketball offense? They seem to move the ball much better than they did just a week or two ago. And, the stats bear that out. You've talked about it some too. And in my three thoughts, I pointed out, I think it was, what was it? Seven of the nine players had an assist. Seven of the nine players that saw the court had an assist, which is pretty darn good. And 19 of 29 made field goals, had an assist. And a handful of those other 10 made field goals were putbacks. So not really open for assist possibilities. And that was a problem just a week ago. Did you notice anything different? Because I'll be quite honest, like, it just kind of looked better. I don't know if there's something specific that I noticed, but you're there. Did you see anything? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, yeah, I guess a little bit, a couple of things stood out to me was that they had, I think, nine offensive rebounds and they didn't miss a lot of shots. They made more than they missed, but they were able to get, let's see, they missed 27 shots. They grabbed nine of them. That's pretty good rate for West Virginia, one out of three. And that's not been what they've been doing before. They were like high teens in offensive rebound percentage. And that just gave them more chances to be good on offense on a day where they were good on offense. I think that helps quantity, quality that they blend. Everything you said about assists, people moving the ball is good, and there continues to be something effective about Kobe Johnson with Kirk Creasa. Um, Kirk Creasa as a catch-and-shoot point guard, good. Kirk Creasa as pound the ball into the, into the wood and wait for something to happen point guard, not as good, I don't think. So give Kobe Johnson credit for that. Um, just one assist, but only one turnover. He played 27 minutes, had a good plus-minus, like what I saw there. And you can get into this, Chris, probably better than I can. I thought they made Hunter Dickinson do a whole lot of work. Like they made him come out and guard on the perimeter. They made him defend picks and screens and communicate and move left and right, run back to the basket. And you move that big guy out of the way, that's going to create room for cutters and for inside jump shots. And you saw Battle get into the paint a bunch. Some opportunities there, too. And after a while, he just kind of gets tired, I think. And, you know, he blocked, I think, one shot, which is different for him because he's 7-2. He only had five rebounds, which is about half his average. He only took six free throws, and that's a big guy who should be spent a lot of time under the basket. I just think he didn't have a lot of gas in his tank because of the way they played on offense, and I don't know what it was. Did they do something to manipulate Dickinson to also liberate their offense? I'd be curious what you think about that. Something different and something uncomfortable. You're right. Like A lot of it was making him get out and get out of his comfort zone, um, and some of that had to deal with the matchup. Um, for those who hate it when I – relay back to my sorry high school experience and and small college experience go ahead and tune out for a minute but there were times where i would play guys who went on to play the highest level of college basketball and i would still be able to score you know 18 and 10 or something like that the worst and hardest game team i ever played against did not have somebody over 6-3 i'm 6-6 would not have a guy over 6'3", and they would instead put a guy on me who was 6'1", and strong as an ox, a football player. 
and he drove me nuts. And it was the worst games I've ever had in my career because he made me do things that I was not comfortable doing. He took me places on the court that I was not comfortable being, and he was just quicker and faster. And I think that's part of what happened to Dickinson when they had Sumnick up against him. And when he had to guard him and Sumnick's running out there and Akoka Cook is running out there and he's having to follow guys around, I think that caused issues for him. And it worked out really well for West Virginia. And again, credit for that um, in part goes to the players, but also to Josh Eilert for recognizing that and making it happen. I'm sorry, I tuned you out. <laughs> Where were we? Question. I was speaking. Di- I was speaking directly to you when I when I referenced those people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, down the clowns at he he puts he puts an exact number on it because he said the Mountaineers make it to March Math March Madness. Which path is more likely? Winning ten of the next of the last thirteen games which would make West Virginia what is that 12 and six in conference play and seven and 14 overall. I mean, you're definitely in with that, right? Oh yeah. No doubt about it. Or winning the big 12 tournament. So let, let's, let's tone down 10 out of 13 and let's say eight, eight and five. What does that make them 10 and eight in conference play? Maybe that doesn't get in. Maybe 11 and seven gets them in. I think that's a number you said earlier. What's more likely for this West Virginia team. Cutting the nest down in Kansas city. If you had to bank on one, I would much rather win four games in four days than 10 games in two months. 10 and three is tough. I don't know how they would do that. I I, I would, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that may be what they end up having to. I I guess the other one is too, like, if this league is so hard, can they do it? It's really going to depend on where they end up. Like, if they're, if they're serious about this, they cannot be a bottom four team. Can they be a top four team? I don't know, but they do not want to play in that first day. That's two games. That's 12, 14. No, 11, 14, and 12, 13. They play. Right. They go on it. So they have that bracketed. So you're going to have to play an extra game, an extra day. If you're a top four team, you have two two fewer days to play. I'm not sure they can get up to top four. But again, they're only two games out. They play both those two teams at the top. So there's a chance. And again, the cannibalization is real. You're going to see teams that are going to fall apart. Last week, we thought it was Texas. They ended up beating Baylor at home. And so who's going to be the good team that falls? Don't know. There's going to be one or two for sure. I would just think that, okay, you get into the tournament. You get an open week or an open day. You play a team that had to play late the night before. You win that game. Now you're in the semis. Oh, there's an upset. Now you're in the finals. That's that's probably a more likely path, I would think. And this is understanding that West Virginia has never won the Big 12 tournament, but has played for the title a couple of times. So for those unsure of how this works, because, again, more teams this year, different setup. Bottom four, you would have to play. You would have to win five games in ten days. That right, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You would have to win five games in five days. But if you're a top four, you're only going to win three games in three days. Um, with everybody else there going four games in four days, so that seems like the most likely scenario, the four and four. But boy, that's I mean that's not going to be easy for anybody, of course. But yeah, maybe you're right. You know, like and, just get hot at the right time, get an upset here or there, and you only have to win a couple. Yeah, and here's the thing too: like twelve and six. You're probably not a top four team. You think you think a six loss team is going to be in the, one of the top four seeds? Maybe with tiebreakers, but I mean, you're probably looking at a conference champion that's going to have four losses at most. I would think that's that seems like a lot, actually. Heck, I don't know. I mean, you already got no one. Everybody had a loss after the first weekend, I think, or first three games, so that could be tricky too. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. That stuff was eleven and seven was top four. Was it really last year? But again, that was only with 
um, you know, what, 10 teams. Yeah. So okay. a little easier, a little harder. I mean, like, because you, you, again, what last year had everybody, everybody 500 above except for Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you didn't have the, not that there's really dregs in this league right now, but might be a couple more easier games this year than last. It's a good question. Good perspective when you think about that. Hmm. Um. Next question. Oh, now that's related to that's. Re- Sorry, guys. I I'm not excluding some of these questions. It's just a lot of stuff about Josh Eilert, um, and his ability to keep this job if things go the right direction. It's kind of amazing how that flips, right, Mike? Like what a week ago before the Texas game, the questions were. How quickly can Ren Baker start this coaching search? Can he start now publicly and just move on? And now it's, can Josh Tyler keep his job? Is that possible? Yeah, part of it is like, well, is Texas bad? And they're like, is this the best Kansas team that we've seen in a while? Like, this is the second weekend team. I don't know. So, like, sooner or later, just got to stop and, like, let them play the games and figure things out, too. So maybe that's my lesson out of this. Maybe Texas doesn't stink. Maybe Kansas isn't that great of a win. And maybe just let these teams figure out who goes where at the end. Here's here's a good one from uh, NC Mountaineer. Everyone in their primes in the post. Akeem Olajuwon, Shaq, Pat Sumnick. We got. I mean, are we hanging the 24 jersey in the rafters soon? That was the question after the game, and I was like, "Well, that's not a bad idea, actually." (laughs) Amazing. I mean, his his face up work, his his face up footwork is really good. Sometimes I felt like he was getting out of control last year because he did it last year. But I felt like he got a little antsy. I guess is the right word. His feet got ahead of his head, but he just seems so much more under control when he does this face up, face up, post up moves on these guys this year. Does he have um, an eight foot jumper like a bank shot that's coming here? Because that seems because the guys you notice with Dickinson, he kept his arms out wide. He did not want something going around him. And the right. counter to that is like just jump and shoot over it. And I wonder if he can add that like a, again, like a six foot eight foot jumper from paint or paint adjacent. That'd be curious to me. All right. The next part of NC Mountaineers' question is: is he seriously wants to know what WB player has surprised the most with positive performances? Like, you know, is there anybody, somebody else like some Nick where it was just like, yeah, this guy, again, the coaching staff did not even consider him part of the viable rotation to start the year and is now carrying the team to a win over number three, Kansas going against an all American. Yeah. That one, we've been over this. We kind of did a video on this last week. He's, Definitely will be say punched above his weight class, right? No doubt about that. The rest of them, like, well, I, well what about historically? Like anybody else that's done something like Sumnick, I guess I think is how I took his question. I don't want to do this, Chris. Don't make do me it. do this. But like, yes, Joe Alexander was on literal fire for like almost two months, and and parlayed that into a I forget he's a top ten pick, in top the ten, NBA. yeah, number eight. And and it was hard to argue with that. And you just like I remember talking to him after the game. They lost to Xavier, I think, in the Sweet Sixteen. And people were like, "I think he'll go pro." And you think he'll come back? And he was like, "Well, I'll make my decision." I just remember looking. I'm going. There's no way this dude's coming back. There's no way. Like he's too good right now. And and that was a heater all time. I don't. And I'm not doing that here. But for a guy who just like I, I wasn't sure what the future of Bob Huggins and Joe Alexander was. And that was after I wasn't sure what the future of John Beeline and Joe Alexander was. And then all of a sudden, like if you go back and look at this, they had a, a really miserable game against, I want to say it was like UConn and like halftime things are crazy. And then all of a sudden, like he went wild in that second half and he was never the same since then, like a totally different guy. 
they're they're wired differently. He's not. I don't think Summix has like the specimen athletically what that he was. He doesn't jump as high. He doesn't twitch like Alexander has. Alexander was like a one percent athlete. I don't know if people actually get that, but he was he was a freak. Summick at least has got the I don't know what the future is with this team kind of a thing, and the differentiator here is that Alexander always started and played because he was good. You could tell. I'm not sure if Summick's playing a whole lot. There's guys in front of him, and I'm not sure if he's getting a chance or if he even has the means to get people out of his way. And he's doing that. Um, but like recent history, again, because I heard this question wrong and I read it wrong, I can't think of anybody since Alexander that did something like this. Like Frank Young turned a page, but he did that the entire season. And you can kind of tell that was a guy who had some pedigree by playing on those really good Elite Eight and Sweet 16 teams, and, and he was going to be okay. But that's a guy who had a season-long um, surge, not out of nowhere, too. Alexander was one. And then I'm just trying to think of, like, a post guy or anybody who did something like this. And I just, I can't find something similar. Great, great memory, Mike, by the way, <clears throat> that was uh Yukon March 1st. He come to the game averaging like 11 points, 10 points, something like that. goes off for 32 and 10 with two blocks against Yukon 32, six and two blocks against Pitt two days later, 29, 10 and a block and a couple assists against St. John's a couple of days after that. 22-6-4 and four against Providence. 34-7-1 mm. and one against UConn. That, that's a two-week span there. And you're right. Like I don't really – I mean, I wasn't on really on the beat then, so I don't remember. But, like, he wasn't being talked about NBA-wise at all before that, was he? No. And you always say, Chris, March 1st. Yeah, March 1st. It was nine games. And it changed his life. And like all the and like what became like the legend of him was that, you know, here's a guy who would sleep on the on the couch and he because they had the um they had those lights that are like motion activated. So he would disengage him, I think, by just taking the like loosening the fluorescent so he could sleep on it. And if he rolled over at night, the lights wouldn't come on. Like he had all these like Paul Bunyan stories about how it was what a workout guy he was. It happened in nine games, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> like it started March 1st. It was crazy. That is wild. Mike, I'm going to take you, well, not off the court yet, but I have to ask you something. It's related to the court. It's also related to the football field. We had multiple questions about this. It's been in the news lately. Not only did WVU fans do it without issue, by the way, seemed to be very cordial. Very well run, very well managed. But then it became an issue a couple of days later when, not a couple of days later, the next day, right? Um, where uh, women's basketball star Caitlin Clark got hurt at Ohio State during the court storming. But got fans asking, what are your views on court slash field storming by fans? And what are the acceptable conditions for it? Have you ever done it, Chris? I have not. Oh. Okay. Have you? Uh, yes, different time and place in my life, but yes, I did. I was throwing a football field once. All right. Well, that's it. We're just going to get different time and place. We're not going to get more details than that. Um. Yeah. I. I definitely eyeballed the goalpost. Um. Not here, but like I was like, uh, no one knows me. <laughs> my friends, let's go for it. Um. Got close, and then the pepper spray came out, and I was like, you know, I don't need that, so let's back off. Point taken. I think that. I think that you can't get rid of it and otherwise they would have so then how do you make it tolerable and west virginia has done a pretty good thing and they're not alone in this but they've done a pretty good thing where 
they get ready for it. And and you'll notice this too. They put those orange t-shirt people on that that sideline between, I don't know, somewhere between midcourt, but much closer to the scorer's table. And they let the post-game handshake go. And then the players that they want to, they can go any direction. And then the players on the other team, they can go backwards toward their tunnel without having anybody cross that orange person line. And then the, if the West Virginia players and coaches want to go in the middle, they can. They're going to be obviously not hostile combatants there. Somebody um, in a Kansas jersey came out on the floor. One, they would have been lost because the event staff makes it very easy for them to turn around and go toward their locker room. And two, they would have been greeted by a lot of gold and blue people who would have been very happy to see them in the middle. So I think if you're going to, I think in some regard, a college has to be responsible to be prepared for it and say, you know what? Number three is coming to town. This team really wants a win. Can we just spend 10 minutes before the game going over our, our protocol? And that was fine. And it worked out okay. I don't think anything happened there. I'm not sure what happened in Iowa State and, and, um, and excuse me, Iowa and Ohio State. I, I've read it and I've seen the video. I'm not sure how it got that bad. Football is totally different, Chris. Because one, you're jumping like seven feet over that wall. You're rolling ankles. Sometimes you're landing on people below you. Everybody's going for that large pitchfork in the end zone, which is kind of dangerous. The team has been pretty good about taking that thing down in the past. I remember last time that the football field got stormed there, do you? So I wonder if like short of putting a moat around the field, I, I don't know that the football team can do a better job than what they have. Um, maybe they test that by winning some games against ranked teams at home. Yeah, we'll see. But I think that, I'm all for it. College sports are about the participants, but also I think unique from other sports about the spectators too. And sometimes that literally means getting on the playing surface with you. Um, that's happened on pitches here for the soccer team. I don't think it's happened for the baseball field, but it's part of it. So you got to make sure that you're, you're ready for it. And what's the plan that we have in place. So if, and when, you know, my team does beat a ranked team or gets a championship that we clinch at home, something like that. How do we make sure that the collateral damage is minimal or even non-existent? You got to have that plan. So I wouldn't blame sometimes the fans as much as the as the schools, but obviously it's not always the school's fault either. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think this is part of the experience of college athletics, so I am down for it. And I do believe most of the onus is on the school to figure out how to allow it to happen safely. I suppose um, this is goes back to the setup for the Coliseum. And, and the pluses and the minuses of yep. how they have the student section on the opposite side and um, everything like that, because it, I guess it's easier to keep the players safe in basketball um, specifically because, you know, the students who are going to be the ones typically that are rushing the court are on the opposite side of the benches. And if you can just get that line of events, people between them, you should be good to go. A little more difficult, like you said, for football. I think people, I know there's a student section, obviously, but people are going to be coming from all over the place. They got to jump over that, down that wall. You're right. It is seven feet tall. I mean, it's taller. Like when, when you stand on the field, it's taller than than people. Um, there are stairs there, but presumably there are people blocking those stairs to keep you from just walking down the steps and getting on the field. So that's tough. Um I'm for it. I'm all for it. I, I don't see any issues with it. You got to be as long as like the fans are not being malicious about it. Like they're just going to celebrate instead of going to, you know, harp on the other team. I'm all for it. The other problem with football is the away sideline is on the student side of the field too. So if the students oh, yeah, are coming, right. if the students are coming down and again, like people forget this, like if you got, I forget how many students are in that upper section, but let's say like 10,000, they're coming down the concourses. Like that's, that's, 
people are going in different directions. That become a, a real mess in the old concourse. It's a little bit better now because it's wider and bigger and like you get room to go. But if you got people going in different directions and then the, the students in whatever shape they're in, um, they're trying to get to the field. They're motivated. They're not going to be polite. And then you got to go through the other section of uh, stands to get onto the field. By by the way, the visiting team that's lost is not going to be in a good mood. And it's harder for them to get off the field to the tunnel. Um, it's very dicey for football. And like I've always wondered what the potential is for something bad to happen there, too. Because I think padded football players after a loss, they're a much bigger threat to unruly fans on the field. And, and um, sometimes things happen there that you don't really see in basketball. Mike, I think that covers all the basketball questions that we had in the mailbag. And, and just for those listening, I'll let you know what we're doing here. This mailbag, part one, will be about basketball. We took all the basketball questions you guys had. Some of them were duplicates. So if you didn't hear your name, that's that's why. It was just a duplicate question. Um, and I answered them now. There's one more that's going to make its way to a three-minute video. And then later this week, presumably Thursday, we will have a football and other sports mailbag again for the rest of the questions just to kind of spread things out and find any other possible way to keep me from having to write another story so if i can take my work and split it and make mike talk about it all the better yeah that's fair wait a minute hold on i tuned you out again say it again that sounds good to me like there's a lot to talk about and that certainly beats the alternative here we've had these full mailboxes for a while so let's keep them going as long as we can let's um let's not bite the hand that feeds us right that's right all right that'll wrap it up for me i'm gonna go uh cover my tracks make sure that the goalpost does not have my fingerprints on it digitally scrub this can't believe a little bit of pepper spray scared you away what a wuss i know i don't know what it's like but i'm never gonna never gonna tempt the <laughs> Too. we'll see how it goes maybe some other time in my life we'll see liverpool top of the table we'll see maybe i'll get out to england sometime and figure out what that's like will they pepper spray me over there i don't know probably not i should find out until next time i'm mike casaza and i'm chris anderson we'll talk to you then